A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Welcome to the Daily Face-Off Show. Your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis. Here's your host, Frank Saravalli. Get to live in the land of the free because of the brave. Welcome to a special Veterans Day or Remembrance Day edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Streaming live on Twitter, YouTube, and of course at dailyfaceoff.com. He's Mike McKenna. Thank you to all who have served. Mike, how are you doing? I'm good. And, you know, you touched on all of it, Frank, how important this day is. And giving thanks to those brave men and women who have served our country, our friends that have served in Canada, Veterans Day, Remembrance Day. Um, it's, it's pretty heavy when you think about it and happy that we have hockey to talk about and some good tie-ins to it coming up in the show as well, Frank. Yeah. And that's by virtue of your own reporting. So let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and drop the puck with this, your story. That's now up on dailyfaceoff.com. How hockey helps heal veterans with the warrior hockey program. You spent last weekend in Philadelphia at the USA hockey warriors, hockey classic, Tell us about what it was like and, and really what it what it meant to you. It's just an unbelievable experience to be around these veterans that have they've done so much for our country and and now it's our time to give back is what I feel like. And you know, for myself, I was asked to help coach the St. Louis Blues Warriors. I was helping with their goalies and we needed a coach. So I figured, all right, I'll come to Philadelphia. This will be fun. I'll get to meet everybody. We'll tell some stories. It turned out to be so much more than that. The moment that you get to ride around in the cars with one another, that you have dinner together, you travel, you're in the locker room, you hear their stories and they all have them. And the veterans have all experienced things that I can't walk in their shoes. I never have, but there's so many similarities between hockey and the military life, moving around, having a team, having the camaraderie. Warrior hockey is saving lives. This tournament, I heard it countless times, how being able to play, being able to be on the ice, to, to go towards a common goal, to have a support system. It's helping people in daily life. It's helping them on the ice. And, and you know, at the end of this, the, the most touching moment, I think, was a member of our team, Bill Souther, stood up and he said, Warrior Hockey saved my life. And I got to tell you, I was in tears. Our whole, team, our whole room was. And uh, it changed my life this weekend, truly. Uh, the perspective of being around these folks, what they've been through uh, and, and what they're doing to support one another. I, I can't think of a better cause for us to help out with in NHL circles and daily life. Any chance people have to help out the USA Hockey Warriors, please do so because they, they are as worthy of a cause as you could ever find. Yeah, I love to see how much it's grown too. Some seven tiers now that are involved in different levels of hockey because it's not all just high level hockey these are uh mm -hmm. there's a minimum disability rating that everyone has to have to participate from their time in the service and 
you know, it's one of those things you mentioned in your piece. Some of these people didn't know how to hold a stick or how to skate or yeah. the intricacies of the game and the rules that they get to experience that and get to experience some competition this weekend that meant a lot. It's so fun to see them discover the game, discover themselves as hockey players and have those aha moments where they go, man, that worked. And they feel proud of themselves, you know, and, you know, we wanted to win. We didn't. Uh, we actually got got smoked in most of the games, but our players all realized, hey, we're getting better. We're having fun. And it's for a bigger cause. Uh, it was a great weekend, Frank. I was so happy to be there. Yeah, great, great stuff, Mike. And I encourage everyone to check out Mike's piece on dailyfaceoff.com. Just how moving it was to read and to see the images, some of what you saw in our program today. Uh, just great, great stuff and a perfect tie into Veterans Day and Remembrance Day. Uh, let's talk about uh, some big news that occurred in the hockey world on Wednesday night. Bob Murray, the former GM of the Anaheim Ducks, he sends out a statement saying that he has resigned and that he will also seek help in an alcohol abuse related program. And the Anaheim Ducks owners, Henry and Susan Samueli, who met with Bob Murray yesterday, uh, just one day after the investigation and their initial findings were announced for improper professional conduct, the Ducks owners had this to say. First and foremost, we apologize on behalf of the organization to anyone affected by misconduct from Bob. We expect every member of our organization to be treated with respect and will not stand for any abuse of any kind. Bob tendered his resignation this morning while also informing us of his decision to enter an alcohol abuse program. While we do not condone his conduct, we fully support his efforts to improve his physical and mental health by asking for help. We will now begin a methodical, extensive search for a permanent general manager to lead us forward. We expect to complete this process no later than next summer. So, Mike, there's a lot to unpack in that statement. And I think, you know, a couple of the, there's still some questions that remain for me. There's been very little reporting outside of our story on dailyfaceoff.com about what exactly Bob Murray was accused of. By who? How did this come about? Obviously through the hotline, which the NHL mentioned in their statement. But will we see some results from this? Will we see Henry and Susan Samueli answer questions from this? How long did they know about it? Bob Murray was the third longest tenured GM in the league. I think there's lots of questions that still need to be answered here. Yeah, that was my biggest takeaway also, was how do the Samuelis not have an idea that this has been going on for a long time? This is the person of power running your organization. You know, they had to have a pulse on what was going on. And it's hard for me to sit here and think that they could just look at certain actions that Murray may have had in the past and thought, well, he's just our manager. He, he rules with a tough hand. And not seeing that it was more than that, because clearly it was. If somebody, whether it's one person or more, is calling into the NHL hotline saying, Bob Murray's been awful to me. This is what he's done, and it's enough for him to resign. This is more than just being dressed down in the locker room. This is more than, uh, you know, having a difficult conversation with a player or an employee. There had to be more to this if, if they decided to move on from him. And I think that you have to hold the owners accountable in this situation. It The buck stops with the ultimate leadership, and that's who controls the dollars. So I'd like to see those answers question, those questions answered, Frank, as well. Uh, and I think it's up to the Samuelis to, to stand at the podium and, and be forthright about it. Yeah, I hope we get the chance to answer those, you know, ask those questions and get some answers. Because this, as I mentioned, this to go unchecked for so long... Um, it just seems odd that they wouldn't have at least gotten some wind at some point that Bob Murray was out of line, given how many times this happened, according to my reporting. So what's next for the Ducks? 
you know, you, you read the last part of their statement and this is a critical season. They've been on this path for a rebuild. They've done really well on the ice to this point, but it's a critical part and critical juncture because of some of the decisions that are still yet to be made. They've got Hampus Lindholm, Ricard Raquel, Josh Manson, all pending unrestricted free agents. Do you re-sign some of these guys? You know, then you've got a critical draft that's again following and that doesn't matter, you know, wherever they end up with in the playoffs, out of the playoffs, in a lottery spot, it's going to still be a critical draft for this team uh, to get right into nail. So what they're doing for the moment, it seems, at least according to that statement, is that they're not in a large rush to, to make this happen and make this decision by next summer. It just feels like an interminable timeline, um, you know, to make that kind of important decision. And for now, they're going to go with a three-headed monster, which we can take a look at. And that includes their interim GM in Jeff Solomon, who comes over after 15 years with the Los Angeles Kings. And Dave Nonis, uh, former Vancouver and Toronto GM as assistant GM. Martin Madden will handle the scouting part as assistant GM. Mike, if you, know, if you were a player on that team, would you like to see some kind of decision made between now and then to at least get some clarity on what's happening and who the boss is? Yeah, for sure. You're, the team is in an upward swing right now. They're playing great hockey. A little bit of turmoil like this is never good, but you need a leader. And, and anytime you're in the locker room and you don't know who's going to be in charge, you don't know who to go to for answers. And think about if you are a pending UFA, a pending RFA, who do you talk to? Is Solomon your guy? Or are you going to Nonis? Or are they going to find somebody else? It makes you hesitant to go towards a team that you want to stay with and say, hey, I want to be here. Let's get this done. But who am I supposed to talk to? And I, you know, I look at Solomon. Solomon's capable of doing this job. Does he want to be the general manager of the Anaheim Ducks? I'm not sure. He was the VP of Hockey Ops. He's got the credentials to do so. But they need to make a decision because this looks like the team is punting. I understand why they worded it very carefully to say we're going to find the best person by next summer. That's not fast enough in today's world. You have to have your team built by playoff time. You have to have it built for the following season and then on into the future. And it hints at what you said about having the UFAs like Manson, like Campus Lindholm. Like you can't let Lindholm walk. 30, 35 points a year, like on your D, like you just can't get that back. A homegrown draft, you know, Manson, they protected to keep him so, the, uh, to, they protected Manson by trading Shea Theodore. This is a player they really like, an assistant captain. They've got to make these decisions. And I think they need a GM in place as early as they can with due, due process to do so, but it needs to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, good point. And we'll have more on Hampus Lindholm and his potential contract and what that looks like tomorrow in a negotiator segment with our own Steve Greeley in tomorrow's show. So we'll talk about that. Uh, in the meantime, want to hit on the Minnesota Wild, who are off to their best start in almost 16 years with a 9-3 and record. And Kirill Kaprizov joins some pretty elite company. When you take a look here at the fastest, fewest games to 30 career goals among active players. So take a look at the group that he's hovering near with a Sidney Crosby not far off and Evgeny Malkin and even Austin Matthews himself. So, you know, a little bit of a slower start for Kaprizov to this point in the goal department, three goals on the season, but 30 for his career in 67 games, still 10 points in 12 games. And I think, Mike, you know, when you look at his shooting percentage so far down from what it was last year, 7% as compared to 17% last mm -hmm. year, that he'll probably get it going at some point. But what have you seen from Kaprizov? Well, he's been a perimeter player to start the season. 
And when you look at where his shots have come from last season in his rookie year, it, it came from the inside. He shot from everywhere. He's a volume shooter, but his goals happened from the home plate area right in front of the net. He worked as hard as he could to get to the front of the net, to get the puck on and off his stick. And that hadn't been happening to the same extent this year. Some of that has to do with the power play struggles. It just hasn't been going. I think it really hurt Kirill Kaprizov to have Matt Zuccarello out of the lineup uh, due to COVID protocol for four games in recent memory because these two were in there on the ice. They generate twice as many scoring chances, okay? We're talking 10 scoring chances a game when Kaprizov and Zuccarello are on the ice together on a line versus five when they're not. Zuccarello's back. Kaprizov's got a bit of mojo. He scored three goals in his last four games because he's getting to the front of the net and the power play is better because of it. If he stays on the outside, if he doesn't work to get to the middle, he's not going to score goals. He's got to keep that fire underneath him. And it looks like he's had it recently. He's still had the assists. He's had the point totals. But you're not paying Kirill Kaprizov to come in and put up 50, 60 points. You're paying Kirill Kaprizov, Kaprizov to come in and score 30, 40 goals a season. And he looks better now. We'll see if that continues. But I think there's a very good chance now that he's back with Zuccarello. He was on pace for nearly 40 goals last year in a shortened year. I think he can get to that number this year. And as you mentioned, when you look at where he scores his goals from, probably a pretty good indication when you look at Wednesday night's win, where he scored from, right hugging the post, right aside yep. the net. Uh, it's a pretty easy way to get that shooting percentage up as well. So uh, we're, we're going to keep an eye on K Kirill Kaprizov and a, a team in the wild that I don't think that we've spent enough time talking about. But let's get to another edition of The Blue Paint with Mike McKenna and dive in on some goalie topics from around the league. That's right. It's another edition of The Blue Paint with Mike McKenna, taking a look, a deeper dive on goalies around the league, the most important position. And I'm not even a goalie union card-carrying member when I say that. So, um, Mike, I want you to take a look at uh, the team in your town and the man between the pipes, Jordan Binnington. We talked a lot about Binnington to start the year. Would he be the guy for Team Canada at the Olympics in Beijing? Is he carrying the Blues in the meantime? I think he is right now. You know, the Blues have had players out of the lineup, Ryan O'Reilly, uh, amongst other. They've, they've, they've had all kinds of problems with COVID in St. Louis with the team itself. And... I think they've really had to rely on Bennington. He's stolen three of his six wins this year, straight up. And I look at his game on Tuesday night against Winnipeg when he went 39 for 41, and it was battling Benner. He was back. And the past two seasons after winning the Stanley Cup, Bennington was fine. But fine's really not good enough in the NHL if you want to be a contending team. He needed that fire back. You know, he got the long-term extension contract. Uh, and, and I don't think he got complacent. I think he just had a little bit of a lull. Teams figured out how to play against him. Well, he's come back. He's got the swag. And, and I just think that St. Louis is a club that right now doesn't really have things clicking as expected. Again, a lot of it lineup issues. And Bennington's been able to carry this team to second place in their in their division right now. So I've been really impressed with Bennington. He's sitting eighth in goals saved above expected coming from moneypuck.com. That's a stat that I really look closely at. Blues are giving up shots, but Bennington's making up for the deficiencies in his team. Yeah, I'd like to just see him drop the gloves at some point. A lot of feisty <laughs> uh, animated behavior getting in people's grills. And, and I love the, the uh, intensity that he shows, or maybe the heart that he shows. But uh, I would like to see him at some point go instead of just dance around. So speaking yeah. of heart, well, what about 
Go ahead. I wanted to say, man, yesterday was the 25th anniversary of Felix Potvin yes. and Ron Hextall going toe to toe. And it was a big moment in goalie history. And, and you're dead on, Frank. When Bennington starts getting in the mix, getting fired up, swinging sticks around, he's at his best. Saw it from Marc Andre Fleury the other night, too, in Chicago, going after Jeff Carter. I love when the goalies get active in the mix. Yeah, a lot of pent up frustration there for Fleury. You mentioned Hextall and the Flyers' perfect segue to Carter Hart. Disastrous season last year. Are you prepared at this point to say that Carter Hart is back to the level he was at two seasons ago? I'm not prepared to go that far, but I'm prepared to say that I think he's on the right track. Okay. Now, Carter Hart's game last year spiraled, whether it was mental, whether it was technical, it was kind of everything when you have the type of numbers that he did last season, well below 900 save percentage, way down on the advanced metrics. He just looked lost last year. And I think coming back this season, you know, the Flyers are playing better defensively. They're, they're still not a top team, top 10 team defensively, but they're better than they were last year. They're protecting the middle of the ice uh, more than they did. But I think for Carter Hart, the biggest thing is that he's got some competition in the net now. Martin Jones has come in and he's played great. He's won all three starts that he's had. He's only allowed five goals against. Uh, and Carter Hart has responded by going 3-3-0-2. Okay, his traditional numbers look good, but this is another guy whose goals saved above expected is nice. He's sitting 10th in the league right now. Jones isn't too far behind. So I think the competition is helping. And I think for Martin or for Carter Hart as well, you know, it's about finding that next step. Like how do you break out of the technical box and find that desperation and creativity to make that extra save? Because he's been good this year. He can still be great. He can still make that one extra save every two to three games. I've seen his confidence grow. I like his technical game. I think Hart's on the right track right now. And what about John Gibson? There's been lots of questions about Gibson over the years and his traditional statistics. A lot of people wondering, because John Gibson sees so many shots traditionally in Anaheim, are his numbers a bit overinflated? What do you see when you take a deeper dive on John Gibson and his numbers? There's a little bit of both at play here. And I think Gibson is somebody that you'll look at the traditionals and you'll look at past experience when the team has been good. And his numbers have always performed. But the last two years, not great. And then you look at this year and you take the advanced metrics for John Gibson. Okay, he's at a 927 traditional in his save percentage. But look at where he is in goal save above expected. He's sitting 25th in the league. It's very pedestrian. And, and to me, it's the, it's the eye test for John Gibson. You know, GMs love him. They rate him really highly. Players do as well because he makes those big flashy saves. It looks like he comes out of nowhere, uh, can do the splits. But that's not always conducive to consistent goaltending. He's constantly in motion. He plays in the white ice way too much. He gets roasted on lateral plays because of it. Now, when the team plays better like Anaheim has, they cut those lateral plays out. So Gibson is able to be successful because he does have some of the best reflexes in the world. Fantastic first save goaltender. But as soon as the play starts moving sideways, things go, things aren't as easy for him. And I think when you go against the best teams that can really sling the puck around, that can zip it on the power play and on the rush, that's why Gibson's numbers in the advanced metrics reflect him being lower on the list than it would show in the traditional numbers. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I just think back to Carter Hart and of course, John Gibson, when your team plays better defensively in front of you, your overall numbers just tend to be that much better. Flyers have cut down significantly on chances off the rush, for instance. Carter Hart's save yep. percentage goes way up. Probably not too much of a shock there. But uh, still, nonetheless, uh, great to dive deep into the goaltending world with Mike McKenna. This has been another edition of The Blue Paint. 
All right, it's time for another edition of the Daily Faceoff inbox question of the day. Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag AskDFO. We'd be happy to answer your questions. And this one is a critical one for the Colorado Avalanche. Sitting at 4-5-1, and one, the team announces yesterday that Nathan McKinnon will be out for three weeks with a lower body injury. Mike, what will that Colorado Avalanche record be when they come out of three weeks without McKinnon? Oh, it's a great question because right now the Colorado Avalanche are struggling and nobody expected them to be in this scenario. I think they're going to have a hard time staying, playing 500 hockey without Nathan McKinnon. Reason being is that the Avalanche are missing depth. We thought that that was the case going into the season, that they're losing Donskoy, they're losing Saad, who'd been big pieces of what was going on in Colorado. The expectation that there'd be some backfill, that players would be able to step up into bigger roles. Well, it just hasn't happened. You know, this is a two, a one and a half, two line team right now. And when you take McKinnon out of that mix, now you're really taking away parts because then you've got to put somebody else with Landis and Ranton and move the move it around. And I tell you what, Frank, you're not going to win many games when your power play is only clicking at 10% like Colorado's. And you take their biggest weapon, McKinnon, out of it. I don't see it improving. They've got an okay goaltending from Darcy Kemper. He was my Vezina pick. I don't look very good Me with too. that right now. And I got to tell you, like, I, I'm worried about Colorado at this point. This is at the stage where it's not – this isn't like if Tampa Bay was struggling a bit. I think Tampa, okay, they'll be back. They'll be fine. I think Colorado's in trouble here. If they can't find a way to start manufacturing wins, not even play 500 without Nathan McKinnon, they need to roll two-thirds of these points while he's out. I think this team might even be in trouble making the playoffs, Frank. Wow. It feels early to say that, but our Bryce Salvador texted me yesterday with the McKinnon news. He was mentioning that he thinks Colorado is really struggling without the si some of the size on their back end after trading away a guy like Ryan Graves for a team that already struggled handling bigger teams in the playoffs last year. He said, I'm ratcheting up that uh, panic level to an eight right now for Colorado. So mm. we'll keep an eye on that over the next couple of weeks. Let's get to our daily faceoff best bets of the day. Tyler Uremchuk, the... Betting against the Arizona Coyotes, it works again last night. Yeah, honestly, I might just not stop this entire year. I might just go puck line against the Yotes every single game because it, it's working, man. It's making me money. I'm 30-13-2 on the year overall. Now we're up 14.3 units as well. Busy night in the NHL, so let's jump right into it, courtesy of our friends over at PointsBet. The first matchup I want to take a look at is the LA Kings who roll into Ottawa. Senators, a bunch of issues with COVID right now. Formanton and Murray added to the list earlier this morning. So I like the Kings to win this hockey game. Also, this line is just a little puzzling to me, even if the Senators didn't have COVID-19 issues. The Kings are red hot right now. I think they will keep that rolling in this one. Expected to be Cal Peterson between the pipes. But as always, keep it locked on daily faceoff for your starting goaltender news and the confirmation there. I like the Kings in regulation at plus 125. So trying to get them in plus money, going with them in regulation. The second game, heading out to Detroit, where the Capitals are taking on the Red Wings. And again, I think the line is just a little bit short here. I'm going with the Capitals on the money line at minus 136. I understand that Detroit's been playing some good hockey as of late here. But the Capitals have been one of the best 5-on-5 five -five teams in the NHL. They're 5th in 5-on-5 five -five shots for percentage, and they're 3rd in 5-on-5 five -five goals for percentage. I like them to roll over the Red Wings in this one. I'm taking them just on the straight-up money line. Not going to get too greedy on this one. Caps, money line, and to wrap things up, St. Louis, Nashville. You just talked about Jordan Binnington, and in this one, it all comes down to the goaltending matchup. Keep it locked on daily faceoff. If you see that either Riddich or Ingram is starting, which I'm personally expecting they are since the Predators played last night and UC Soros was in net for them. Binnington against a backup. 
I love it. And I'm actually going with the Blues on the puck line here at plus 140. So those are my three plays for the day. Kings in regulation, Capitals on the straight up money line, Blues on the puck line. Up nearly more, more than 14 units, I should say. That puts you yeah. on pace for up 80 plus units over the course of the regular season. Tomorrow is the one month anniversary of the start of the season. Also, today is the one month anniversary of the start of the daily face off show. And so, you know, interesting to keep an eye on. Tyler making some money for people that have been watching along. So, thank you for that, Tyler. And now, time for garbage time, my favorite segment of the show. And it's really some garbage time play for a lot of guys on the Sens. Eight guys now out in the COVID protocol. Alex Formanton and Matt Murray joining the list today. It looks like they're going to try and play tonight against the Kings, especially when a team like L.A. comes all the way east for a game like this. You try and get it in if you can. Bring some guys up from Belleville. But eight guys out of the lineup. At what point would you be canceling the game, Mike? And if you were a player in that room, what would you be feeling? Well, if you're a player, you play. That's the thing. You know, you just strap them on and go. But you are looking around the room thinking, we're in one tonight, guys. It's time to grind. Because you don't even know who's going to be in the lineup <laughs> come game time, you know. And, and you're missing eight players. It's just a lot, okay. Now, a lot of us in hockey have faced adversity before. We've faced depleted lineups. For goaltenders, it's not very often that you face a night where your equipment doesn't even show up. Like for Philip Gustafson the other evening, I believe in Boston, was wearing Anton Forsberg's gear because it didn't arrive. I mean, is this just a, a pile on for the Senators at this point, a team that showed some momentum early in the season? Now they're getting crushed by COVID. I, but what I think from this is that you do look around and kind of take the weight off your shoulders in the locker room and you think, you know what, guys, let's just go play. Let's do it. Like we're in the National Hockey League. It really can't get any worse. I mean, if you go out and get roasted eight rip, but you're missing half your lineup, nobody's really going to look at you and think with a sideways eye to it. So I think in some ways you, it's daunting. You, you really don't want to play, but your pride says, this is what I'm here for. I'm going to do my job and we're going to make the most of it. You just never know what can happen in this game. And hey, if they pull off a win, man, that's even better. That's something to rally around. So I think it'd go either way, but I, I think this is just a tough situation for the Sens. I think it's another reason why you've touched on it, Frank, how the NHL is going to have to look at COVID, pro COVID protocols and see if there's any way to tweak this uh, in relation to who's in the lineup, to CBAs, to make sure that we can get enough bodies there in a timely manner to play a proper hockey game. Well, they're they're trying, and I think they're trying to do everything they can to keep all these games played as scheduled because there's this 100%. other part of it. As soon as one game is postponed due to COVID, that opens up contractually the language for the NHL to then say, you know what, right. we're not sending our players to Beijing for the Olympics. The players and the NHLPA want to avoid that conversation, and, and we'll keep an eye on that as well throughout the day. As you mentioned, tough for the guys that are regulars in the lineup, but for the other eight guys that are now being thrown into the lineup, some excitement for an opportunity that they might have otherwise not gotten. That'll do it for today's show. That's all the time that we have. want to say thank you to all who have served and all who are currently serving on Veterans Day and Remembrance Day. Thank you for keeping us and our families safe, lest we forget, as we so point out so aptly today. Read Mike's work on dailyfaceoff.com and keep it locked on Daily Faceoff for all the other news, information, and analysis from around the NHL. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. Have a great day. Thank <laughs> you.
Thanks for watching the Daily Face-Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.